don't think a lot of these research firms know how to source this still flow. I don't know yeah. if they. I don't think they know where. They don't even know it exists. You know, I think. I think the view is actually we're not backing ethnic minority founders because there aren't that many ethnic minority founders, and that's actually not the case. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me your time. I promise it'll be worth it. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Rodney Appiah, who is the founder and chairman of Cornerstone Partners, an angel investment group focused on investing in predominantly black founders. They not only invest in companies, but they also provide debt financing to businesses already in operation, generating revenues. In addition to Cornerstone Partners, Rodney is also the director and venture capital investor at Foresight Private Equity, a leading investment firm focusing on early stage UK businesses. He has worked with several entrepreneurial companies over the last 11 years and currently sits on the board of a number of high growth businesses. In this episode, we discuss growing up in Mitcham, which he also likes to refer to as Wimbledon, depending on who he's talking to, and working in investment banking straight out of university. We also discuss the fundraising process and how startups should be thinking about financing their companies. We also discuss why and how he decided to start Cornerstone Partners with a few of his friends from Minchim. All right, guys, let's jump into the action. Okay, Rodney, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, it's a pleasure, Philip. Thanks for having me. So, Rodney, before we get into Cornerstone and all the great work you guys are doing there, uh, let's start from the beginning. Sure. Actually... Furthermore, how do you introduce yourself to people when you go out? <laughs> In what sense? Do you mean my name, my, my title, no, my just, role? How do you introduce yourself? So let's say you're at a WeWork event, for example, and someone's like, hey, I'm like, hey, I'm Philip. I run a podcast. You are? Yeah. So I, I just say, hi, guys. My name's Rodney. Um, I do a myriad of different things, um, but my day job is I'm, I'm a VC investor um, and in my part time, I I chair Cornerstone, and uh, really really excited about how that's doing and how that's growing. But but it's difficult to put my, to put myself into kind of like a box because I'm doing all sorts of different things these days, and so that's how I tend to tend to introduce myself. So, so people leave confused, basically. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I'm working on sort of making that a little bit more concise in terms of my introduction, but. But yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at at the moment because I'm doing lots of different things. Yeah, which is a good place to be in. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah. So before we talk about Cornerstone, let's th- let's go to the beginning. So where is Rodney from? What was Rodney doing? And how did Rodney get to this point in life? So you started off like in finance, I guess, from day one. Yeah. So, I mean, I would go back even further than that. So like my first recollection of career and a job and finance was seeing my dad 
um, you know, walk out the house with a briefcase and a, and a suit. And I, and I thought he was going into the city, but actually he was just going to Royal Mail. Okay. And, um, you know, he was just a really hardworking individual and, you know, he was a postman, but he had that kind of, that work ethic. And I, I remember growing up thinking, you know, I want to do that. Like I didn't quite, wasn't quite clear about how I wanted to do it and what, what the world of finance sort of entailed. But I love the idea of putting on a nice sharp suit, wearing a nice tie, reading the copy of the FT, you know, the newspaper too big enough to kind of to conveniently read on the tube. But I just loved that whole image and I wanted I wanted to do that. So, you know, I went to went to school, went to university, and then I was really fortunate. I went to a really good university, Royal Holloway. Holloway. One of the great things about Royal Holloway, shout out to Royal Holloway, is um, they've got a great career centre. And nice. they've got a really, you know, a proper career centre, you know, massive. And um, I had no idea what investment banking was. I had no idea what venture capital was. I had no idea what accounting was. Um, but you walked into that career centre, you got allocated a careers counsellor, you sat down, there were loads of free materials, and I just kind of sat there and read, and read, and, and then realised very quickly that the best paying jobs were in the city. And, um, you know, light bulb moment, and I decided that that was what I wanted to do. And so I was lucky, I, I got involved in a programme called SEO. You heard of SEO? No. So SEO is this, um, it's like a, it's similar to the Mountbatten uh, fellowship. I know Mountbatten, yeah. Yeah, so it's basically a, a fellowship that um, that's designed, a program that's designed to increase uh, the number of, um, you know, underrepresented ethnic minorities that are seeking a career in... Um, industries and professions that tend to be dominated by, um, you know, white middle class um, men. So uh, that was the opportunity, and um, I, I got part. I got involved in that program. It's an absolutely fantastic program. It completely changed my my whole concept of finance. Like, you know, I got to, you know, go to um, day visits. I, I saw Lehman Brothers when it was still around. I um, oh, went wow. to some really. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Feels like I was part of history. I um I went to these nice, beautiful buildings. Um, and I was really inspired to kind of you know want to to be part of that world, yeah. and uh, was lucky enough to get an internship with with an American bank with Merrill Lynch, and then that's kind of how my my career started. The first thing we did at Merrill Lynch is that they they sent us all out to um to New York for six weeks. Oh wow! For training. <laughs> that's so, not bad, is it? <laughs> it was amazing. You're probably leaving uni like oh, was, this, what's everyone talking about unis? <laughs> Like life's hard after exactly. uni. This is easy, man. I'm in New York now. Exactly. <laughs> it was, and this was like you know 2005, 2006 time. So this was, you know, pre credit crunch. Yeah, this yeah, was yeah. This was the good times, you know, where champagne was flat. I mean, it was a, it was a really really good time, and you know, you had parties and all sorts. And apart from my hotel, my hotel was a bit ropey. I had rats in my hotel, but still, <laughs> it was it was really good. Yeah. And um, the day that I came back was the day of my graduation. So literally mm. my parents picked me up from the from the airport and drove me to Royal Holloway and I just got my scroll because I missed my slot. Kind of fine. So it was super fine. But it was it, to me that was like it was a beautiful moment to kind of share that my family and just realised that actually, yeah, I'm on my way. Yeah. That's how it started. Yeah, that's crazy. And where where did you grow up? Where what neighbourhood were you from? Um, I'm sorry, I'm from South London, so depending who I'm talking to, I'm either from Wimbledon <laughs> <laughs> okay. or I'm from Mitcham. So I'm actually from right. from Mitcham. Okay, well, I'm from North London, so they're both the same thing to me. <laughs> okay. 
So woman is the nice part. Mitchum is the not so nice part. The so um, part, the greedy part. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, you know, I'm proud of that now. You know, the more the more sort of I do in my career, the more I realize actually. You know, be proud of your humble beginnings. And um, what's really interesting is that all of the the co-founders of Cornstone were all from Mitcham, all from the oh, wow. from the same the same town. Wow. So not big very, out, big out, Mitcham. Not very inclusive. You're right? <laughs> 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 hiring people from your ends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's cool. Although we, you know what, we didn't we didn't have a close relationship growing up. So obviously, you know, we'll come on to it later. But um, you know, one of the co-founders is my brother. Um, so obviously we had a pretty challenging relationship growing up until we then got married and grew up and then it was it yeah. was much much better because we were kind of living on top of each other yeah. in the house you know that classic you yeah know, yeah I know you know you're in a three bed house but you know there's seven people in the room and all that type of yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. so that was that was fun that was a barrel of laughs and um, and then there were other individuals other co-founders that you know for some some whatever reason they didn't really like me too much I was sort of I gave this impression of being quite standoffish and quite you know, clear about what I wanted to do and, and not really wanting to interact with other people, you know, on that journey. Mm. And I think, you know, thankfully I've now kind of softened up a little bit and- Well, and, you were uh, focused. I, well, that's what it was. I was, I was focused and, you know, when you're, when you're in Mitcham, you know, when you're talking to people, you know, people aren't talking about- um, Various asset classes. Correct, they're not talk <laughs> They're just talking about, okay, you know, what's the next, how am I gonna pay the bill how am I going to move from A to B yeah. you know, what's the next opportunity it wasn't mm. you know there wasn't really that kind of strategic thinking and I don't know why but I always I always had that I always had that kind of desire of I want to do more than and, myself and you know? more than your than my immediate surroundings yeah circumstances yeah absolutely and I've still got that like that desire to kind of you know like you want to leave a market now it sounds kind of cheesy but I, I want to leave a mark and especially since I got you know got married and had a kid even more so now yeah. I really want to kind of create that legacy yeah so so yeah that was that was Mitchum that was Mitchum yeah. yeah mate it's a great town you should you should go and check it out I mean I've avoided it for this long <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm going to take you off on You did the whole Merrill Lynch thing. You were in bank. You, you stayed there for like four years or so. Is that correct? So yeah, five years. I was there for just shy of five years, and then what was that like? I mean, obviously, you know, you you finished uni. You're straight into the the big bad world of IB. Yeah, um, I was really fortunate that I had a really good mentor who actually was in the more exciting part of IBD. Yeah, he was in the credit leverage finance area. Um, which basically meant that you, you did modeling every day as opposed to building presentations every day, mm. which meant that actually coming into work, you were learning stuff as opposed to just getting absolutely slammed because you, you got a font size out of, out of place or you had a color. <laughs> and that was what was happening to my to my friends upstairs. Yeah. Like, it was nuts. So I had a really great couple of years at Merrill's where I was just modeling different situations, you know, working some large transactions, getting involved in, you know, some large debt raises. Yeah. Loved that experience. It was amazing. But to be honest, it was a brutal, it was a brutal experience because the thing about banking, particularly back then, I, I think it's changed now, is that, you know, you, you kind of sold a bit of your soul. You know, you yeah. kind of accepted that this is effectively a boot camp, but, you know, I'm going to give my all to it and I'm going to, you know, work super hard and I'm going to work from nine until midnight and I'm Ooh. not going to work. I'm not going to, I'm going to work over weekends and I'm not going to have a social life. But at the end of a two or three year stint, you know, I've learned more 
during that time that I would have learned, you know, five years elsewhere. Yeah. That's kind of the trade-off. And you get sucked into this bubble, right, mm -hmm. where you just think that everyone works like this and everyone thinks in this way. And you get obsessed about, well, why is that I or T out of place? And that's kind of the culture that IBD creates. But mm -hmm. it's a great, great place. For anyone who wants to move into finance, I highly recommend that you start in banking, but you don't end there. Mm. So, you know, you, you do your two or three year stint, you know. Or five in your case. Or five, which which <laughs> I kind of probably messed up a little bit there. Um, and then and then you get out as quickly as you possibly can. And that's what I did. And, and I, I didn't like that idea that I wasn't in control of my career. You know, I wasn't in control of my future. Yeah. And looking over my shoulder and thinking, is, is today the day that, you know, that I'm going to get a tap on my shoulder, I'm going to have to go up to the sixth floor and I'm going to have to quietly pack my bags and leave. And I thought, I just didn't want to live like that. So... Um, I decided, you know, I'm gonna leave on my own terms. I was sensible. I didn't, I didn't go crazy. I didn't go on mad hol holidays or buy, you know, extravagant cars or motorbikes or anything like that. So I had some money s sort of put aside, and I just yeah. thought, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna resign and just figure out what I'm gonna do next. Yeah. That's what I did. And I was doing an event. I was at a Milk Crown event, and I had my badge on. It said Rodney Appear and Merrill Lynch, and an old lady on the tube came up to me and said. It's your fault we're going through <laughs> this mess. And I was like, I was really taken She's aback like, by that. the bank of bonuses. <laughs> yeah. It's you. You're making She's all like, these stupid... Yeah, it's like, you're greedy. You're terrible. Like, you don't care about anyone but yourself. And it, that was like, that was a genuine reality check. Yeah. I mean, my whole thing with investment banking, right? Yeah. Is, and, and one of the reasons why I decided not to go down that route. Not to say that I was, you know, they were looking for me. <laughs> but... <laughs> But like, I just feel like there's this, like you said, there's an immense amount of pressure to like do more, to work harder. And it's like, for what? Yeah. For who? Like, what's the company value? Not the ones they put on the wall when it's like generic, <laughs> like integrity, you know, no banker has integrity in my opinion. <laughs> but like, what are you, like, what is all of this for? Yeah. Like what's, you know, nine till midnight? Like who is like, I'm like a startup, at least there's like a mission. You know, there's five of you in a room, like you're building Cornerstone, you know, like nine till 12 is like for legacy. It's a legacy yeah. play. It's a, you know, changing the, the culture of black entrepreneurship play. Yeah. What is the play in the bank? But I, the thing is, I agree with you, but the thing you gotta remember is that, you know, banks did start up as startups, right? And like Goldman Sachs, for example. Yeah, 100 years ago. Yeah, but Goldman Sachs, literally, it was families lending money to each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it started. Yeah, that's true. And like that building and that sense of community, you know, you're right. Now it's like a, it's a beast and it's a machine. It's and a when you join, machine. yeah, and like they don't care about you and your cog. And you know what? The way what I thought was really interesting about banking is that during those series of, of redundancies that I was going through, and seeing my colleagues kind of getting replaced, getting getting fired, they just got replaced so quickly. And like before, with before the week was out. Like their name never, never was never mentioned again. Yeah, you're you're a fungible commodity. Yeah, and I think I really didn't want that. I didn't want to just be kind of another, another analyst, another associate. Mm. So I mean, I had a good stint. I really enjoyed my time at Merrill Lynch. And as I said, I don't think I'd be the person I am today if I didn't have that experience. And you know, I did, I did credit sort of leverage finance for two and a half years, and then moved, which was kind of like hybrid front office, <coughs> circa hybrid, and then. And then I moved into um, front office in Tech M&A uh, for the second two and a half years. And that's when Merlin became part of Bank of America. Right. And that's that's when I completed my five years and then decided, actually, you know what, this is not for me. And this, I left a sort of like a senior associate. Yeah. I'd had a couple of good bonuses, a couple of bad bonuses. 
um, during bonuses, the tough times. Bonuses nonetheless. Bonuses nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Somebody, somebody didn't even get bonuses. So yeah, no, yeah. I, I was I was highly appreciative of that. And then I decided I want to do something else. Yeah. You decided to leave. <clears throat> what were you, you know, what did you do when you left? Like, you're like, all right, I just done, I done my time in the banks. I saved up some of my bonuses. Mm. You know, I'm not desperate for a job right now. You know what's next? Yeah, so to be honest, I had absolutely zero plan. <laughs> no, I no, I didn't have any strategic did idea. Did you go traveling or anything like that? I did a bit of traveling. So I went to, I think I went to Barcelona for like a week. That's or not so. traveling, man. That's not the. I said Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Wait, what? So, like the thing I you said, like, you go traveling. You said Barcelona. That's an easy jet thing. <laughs> so, like the thing you got to understand, Philip, is that when I was um. When I was doing investment banking, I was going to all these different European cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was seeing like the inside of a, an office. Oh, it just looked like home, really. Exactly. You were just like, oh, I'm in another office. Yeah, it's like, oh, here's another office with another, you know, shade of screen, shade yeah. of grey. You know, that was it. <laughs> yeah. And so actually going to Barcelona and genuinely going to Barcelona and enjoying it, that was that was nice. So I appreciate it wasn't, you know, backpacking. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm not looking. Backpacking. I'm not knocking your trip. I'm not knocking <laughs> your trip. Okay. Appreciate it wasn't backpacking out in the Himalayas, but still, it was it was good. It was good enough for me. And then something really interesting happened. So another shout out to my to my friend Christina Rule. Um, she's a headhunter, and she, me and her were, were sort of call up for lunch, and she said to me like, "Roddy, you know what? I think you'd be good for private equity." And I was like, what, "What's what's private equity? What what does that? I don't understand. What, do you, what what does that mean? What do you do?" You didn't have any exposure to private equity at the bank. I had I had, I had large cap buyout exposure to private equity. So. Right. Not VC in the way that we would mean you would kind of describe it today. It was yeah. very much kind of a big company that had lots of capital buying another company, but not really. It was financial engineering, right? It yeah, wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't generally trying to help the business and yeah. work with management teams and right. pursue a mission. There was none of that ha- happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I had no real genuine understanding of private equity. Oh, wow. So Christina opened my eyes to the world of private equity, and she said. Rodney, I think you would be great at product team. I said, what's, what's product team? She said, basically, you know, you, you invest other people's money into companies and you need to be, you know, well-rounded. You need to be good at all things. You need to be a good speaker. You need to have good interpersonal skills. You need to be technical. You need to like people. You need to, you need to just be able to kind of, you need to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I was like, oh, okay, great. That sounds like me. So um, thankfully, she was working on a gig at the time. She was working... Um, to try and um, provide a number of highs into BGF. I don't know if you're familiar with BGF. Yeah, yeah. So BGF, so Business Growth Fund, set up in uh, 2011, uh, August of 2011, so May of 2011. Um, basically what it was trying to do is to try and um, provide growth capital between two million and 10 million pounds into UK companies. Yeah. And it was set up modeling 3i. So the old 3i... For yeah, that pe- was another huge private equity firm. Exactly. But if people know, if you know the history, so what happened is off the back of the Second World War, the economy was in the doldrums and the government um, basically said to the banks, you have to invest in a vehicle um, and invest in a form of equity to support businesses as, lo- as well as alongside debt. Huh. And um, 3i was then born and then it became an incredibly massive oh, success wow. story. BGF was basically the same thing. Oh. But BJF was off the back of the credit crunch crisis, oh. not off the back of the Second World War. Oh. So that's that- so interesting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that just blew my mind, bro. <laughs> so that was it. So basically, oh, okay. 
game. So that's what it was. So basically, you know, I think George Osborne was at the dispatch box and he said, um, you know, the banks are going to support and kickstart the economy and we've got 15 initiatives and right at the bottom of the, that list of initiatives that he talk, he sort of reeled off was, we're going to create an equity fund. And and a lot of the VC funds at the time were looking at this and thinking, oh no, the government is going to create another regional fund that's going to provide cheap money, it's going to crowd out all the sensible people, all the smart people. We're going to come. We're going to be, you know, get, going to be competing with these ridiculous offers, and yeah. it's going to completely screw up the model, right? But what actually happened was um, a guy called Stephen Welton got hold of it. Stephen Welton, really impressive chap, um, former um, managing partner at CCMP Capital Partners, which was like a spin-out VC firm or right. P firm from J.P. Morgan. He came. He said, "You know what? I'm going. I want to be involved in this, but I want to run this as a proper proper commercial entity." And, and that's what he did. And he um, hired some really experienced individuals, like my boss from Carlisle Ventures and X3i people and XLDC people. And then he built this this kind of nucleus of, of individuals. I think we, there was like 15, 20 people. And um, I was fortunate enough to be one of the sort of the, the sort of early early hires. And I went in. I had I knew absolutely nothing about PE. Um, we had no process, we had no idea what we were going to do, we were getting ne- negative press and criticism being from the sides, from yeah. our competitors, but we had £2.5 billion of capital. That's serious money. <laughs> so it was they were just, like... They were just jealous. It was, like, it was like the best startup to work for, yeah. because you had loads of money, you had lots of people like praying that you were going to fail. But, but you, they, they didn't know that you were too big to fail. <laughs> yeah, <that's> the, <laughs> <laughs> and you're backed thing. by the government. You are literally too big to fail. Yeah, well, that was the thing, and you know, it was it was a really interesting time. I learned a lot a lot about the industry, but it was like it was like a blank canvas. And basically, the mission of BGF was really simple, which is if you were going to start productivity again, how would you do it? Like, how would you how would you sell to entrepreneurs? How would you present the terms? How would you um, make it entrepreneur friendly? What would you do? Like. Ba- you know, basic principles. First yeah. principles. What would you do? Yeah. And we have this massive opportunity to just build that. And I, you know, I was really fortunate to be part of that process. And were you guys um, sector agnostic, or was did you have a particular vertical? Obviously, you had the telco and the you know the tech M and A experience. So was that where you were sitting? Or so I. It, so we're, we're set, so BJF was sector agnostic and yeah. still is today. Right. Um, and the other key sort of focus was that they're minority focused. Hmm. So they just back. Um, they only provide minority stakes. They don't do change of control transactions. Right. And um, so they don't want a board seat. They just want to give you money. And have no, a- they take a board seat. Right. But it's like it's the, the idea is you know a hybrid between an angel investor and uh, sort of a productivity firm. Right. So this idea that you know you could be a junior active partner. That was kind of the premise. And in many ways, that whole concept is something that I think I then leveraged on Cornerstone, which I'll come on to later. But in terms of my background, I, I sort of was the professed tech expert, I guess, but tech expert in, 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 in the sense that I'd worked on some tech deals, not in the sense that I was a coder. Yeah. And then over a period of time, I started to get more exposure to consumer as well. So I started getting involved in some, some of our consumer investments. And uh, those are the two areas that I, I tended to focus on, tech and consumer, and it was it was great. I worked on six, seven deals during my time there, um, sat on a few boards, really learned a lot of stuff. But I was, again, it was training. It was training again. It was like I was at school, priority school. Yeah. Um, but in a really safe environment with work, where I was working with some great people. Were you more client-facing at this point? More? Definitely, definitely. And I was, um, 
meeting companies. But I was still, you know, if I'm being honest, I was still kind of like the the junior guy. I was like the second guy in command, like cutting my teeth, learning my trade from very experienced individuals. And, and that was great, you know. And, you know, I did that for, you know, another four, four and a half years. And it was it was a great, it was a great ride. And um, actually got to kind of get involved with some really interesting businesses and, and um, sold some interesting businesses as well. So um, I worked with actually a guy you might know called Jason Pinto. Jason Pinto. Jason Pinto. So he was a venture partner at Amadeus. No, and now he's um, a, a co-founder of a business called Pace. So um, he, me and him, so he was doing really, really well. And he was like one of those, you know, those situations where, you know, you, you're, you're, on the cross, you're across from the, the table and you see another black guy in your industry and in an industry that's dominated by white people. And you think, wow, you know, this is this is quite special because it's not going to happen again yeah. for the next, <laughs> for the next, years. next 15 years. Yeah. So, so I, I, you know, I, you know, I did that kind of classic kind of nod your head, wink type thing, but I, you know, I really rated Jason yeah. and what he did and his career trajectory and all the rest of it. And, uh, you know, we still, we're still good friends today. And, um, it's great how he's like, he's, he went into VC and now he's starting the entrepreneur journey and, yeah. and doing quite well. And, uh, so me and him, we sat on the board of a business called, um, Unruly Media. Which we I then. Know, I'm really, uh, uh, what's her name? Sarah Moore. Sarah Moore. She's incredible. Yeah, she's great. And Scott yeah. Button. And um, really good time. Really good team. Really talented. And you know, BJF were were part of a syndicate of investors. We invested four million pounds alongside um, Endite Capital. Wow. They're doing um, really well. Yeah, really. really great. Yeah, and and uh, Amadeus invested as well. And then we sold that business to News Corp for 140 million. Mm. Interestingly, that was um, Rebecca Brooks' first acquisition. Post the phone hacking scandal, right? The million dollar scandal. Exactly. Yeah. Well, she wants to make a splash, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> so, so that was a good exit. Yes, yeah, so it was great. It was great, and we really, you know, you know, it was great for us. And and what was really important is that it proved the model, right? And but also it was great for me because it was one of those rare situations. And you know, when you speak to VC investors, a lot of VC investors will kind of lay claim to their exits, and they'll, you know, they're, you know. You know, you know, you heard that saying that you know, there's, there's, there's many fathers when it comes to successes, but yeah. there's, 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 there's orphans when it comes to failures, right, mm-hmm. or whatever it is, something along those lines, and um, it's the same thing with exits, right? But with Unruly, that was unusual for me because I actually was involved in the initial investment, was involved on the journey, and it was, it was, it was interesting. It was up and down, like like most VC, mm-hmm. most on most sort of startup young businesses are. And then I was also um, involved in the exit, which was great. So went through the whole cycle. Went through the whole cycle, which is, um, I think that's unusual. I've seen seen that in a couple of situations, but it was great for me to see that because then I, it really got, gave me a good understanding of you know what is this VC game all about? Like, yeah. you know, it's all well and good paying fantastic valuations on the way in, right? And then you know, patting yourself on the back and congratulating yourself, but do you make a return on the end of it? You know. And there's lots of, you know, VC is an asset class. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the worst performing. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's really hard to make money yeah, in yeah, venture. Yeah. Yeah. It's super hard to make money the in venture. Top 10, it's like the top five, 10% yeah. that make all the money and Ex- everyone else is. And everyone else is just kind of trying to, it's pretending. Exactly, <laughs> pretending. And and if they're lucky, they're gonna try and jump from the coattails of the ones that are making money. And yeah. that's, and it's because it's, there's this kind of like, you know, herd mentality where, you think something's going to do well, and so you just you just 
chuck money in it and you just yeah and you expect that like the more money you chuck into it the more successful it's going to become and you give it as much um, lead way as possible and I think that's probably a culture that came from the US Um, and I think what's interesting about the UK and this kind of leads on to my next my next move which is when I joined Foresight is that I find that particularly in the VCT EIS world um, you know we have a sort of a bit more of a discipline around how we approach risk and return mm-hmm. and because the game there is to try and you know invest support businesses help them to grow but yeah. but recognize that not every business is going to be a unicorn mm-hmm. not every business is going to be the next yeah uber the next salesforce the next whatever you might just get like a good solid 100 million exit and that's fine you know yeah. mate i would <laughs> you mate i would take 500 million exits any day of the week yeah yeah, yeah and most yeah. vc investors would right yeah but they don't want to tell people that no what they want to <laughs> tell people is yeah i was i was the last investor at skype you know, just before it did X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And, you know, the what they made like 0.7 times because all of the value had been created thereafter. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. because they're associated with it, you know, they, they, they kind of, you know, they, they kind of enjoy the success that that brings and the cachet that, that brings. So that was really interesting for me, like in my career, just kind of seeing that and seeing how that, seeing the different ways in which you play VC, you know? Like yeah. I always say to people that like VC is not, the same to every person like there are so many different strands and flavors of vc there's so many different strands and flavors of private equity and it's about what are you looking for you know mm. um so yeah and do bgf allow people to take carry as traditional private equity firms do they do so you're not a okay they do. We're gonna leave that. There. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no. The only reason, the only reason, the only reason I'm like I'm cautiously saying yes, they do. They yeah. do. Is that I don't want the BGF anymore. You don't want So maybe they changed their policy. But exactly. when you were there, exactly. You yeah. got that carry. Okay. Carry's cool. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> we're not gonna say anymore. We're not gonna say anymore. It's okay. BGF. Yes. You had or, a great stint there. Yeah. Often called the BFG for some strange reason. Yeah, that's really people strange. Some people. They just want to mess it up. Exactly, like mess it up. It's, not, it's like a different thing. <laughs> it's like a different company now. Completely, like completely. Okay, so you left there four, four and a bit years. Good ride. Good ride. You learned a ton. Learned a ton. Had some exits. I'm sure you had some failures too. Yeah, yeah. Before we go into the next thing and what you're doing at Full Sight and then Cornerstone, can you think of any of the, like, the huge losses that, that you were responsible for like what company were, <laughs> not like what company were you like seriously advocating for because i i would imagine that you know working your way through the ranks you you know got a bit more vocal at the investment committee meetings and you're like we should do this like i met the founder like da, da, da. like was there anyone that you pushed through that didn't work out yeah so um the first thing i want to say is that you cannot playing this game without having a few failures like it's just not it's just it's not, not possible. possible no one has a home run every time yeah I mean you know I, my view is that a, a fantastic investor gets it right six times out of ten mm-hmm. right so that's the first and thing and even six is a lot exactly that's really good <laughs> right because most people are like banking on their one or two that are going to make up all their failures so for me um, there's I've got a number of failures that I can point to but nothing thankfully touch wood I've never had a situation where I've got back zero and I've never had a situation where I've got back like less than a pound so they're either still kind of 
you know, going, maybe mm-hmm. just like on their last legs, but still going, still surviving. Yeah. And I always say to people, like, one of the first rules of VC is stay in the game. Mm. Keep your company in the game. You keep your company in the game, then who knows what's around the corner? Who knows what potential opportunity you might yeah. might stumble upon? And, and often businesses might have a fantastic idea, but because they're too early and they haven't got the bandwidth or the capital to stay in the game, it just snuffs out and mm-hmm. dies. So that's really important. And so I haven't had some really, really big failures, but what I what I have had is I've made genuinely bad market calls. So for example, um, you might, so a really good example is like, you, you might find a business that has some fantastic technology, but if you're selling it into a market that just doesn't want to adopt technology mm. um, and is stubbornly refusing to recognize that times are changing and that this actually would help them and save them money yeah then it doesn't you might have you might have the most cleverest mousetrap in the box but if no one wants to use it it's pointless and so i i learned that very quickly very early on that actually having something that's good rather than perfect but serving a a market need is far more valuable than having something that's absolutely perfect but has no commercial no commercial need yeah that's good um so i made i made that call wrong a few times um in terms of product market fit that's really really important um the other call that you that you often make wrong or at least i've often made wrong um get get wrong is the assessment of the management team and so this idea that you know management teams tell you the truth that they are um you know reliable trustworthy people what i realized is that the entrepreneurs they're a very particular breed yeah in in that in that they they are eternal optimists and that actually is why they create these amazing ideas out of nothing you've got to have this belief that you can create something out of nothing otherwise Mm. you would never be a successful entrepreneur but sometimes that can tip over into a dangerous place where you can't see the wood for the trees and you can't you can't appreciate the dangers that are coming yeah and that's where a really good vc i th- i think has a role to play in helping them to say look i love the fact that you're bold that you're ambitious that you want to kind of break down barriers that you're disruptive but let's also operate within reality mm. because i want you to stay in the game as long as possible for this to be a success yeah. and so it's that so that's where you know there've been times when i've just got that wrong a little bit mm. where I've kind of bought into too much of the hype yeah bought into too much of the kind of this is what it could be rather than actually what it is yeah okay and that's 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 a fair fair answer <laughs> and so so now you you've gone to insight and that's more foresight foresight I beg your pardon foresight um and talk to me about your role at foresight yeah so foresight um love it love it shout out foresight foresight group um, check us out. Check us out. So we're so we're um, we're uh, we're quite an unusual fund in that we manage just shy of four billion pounds, but we manage it across both infrastructure and renewables, uh, where we're sort of in the main backing um, uh, ground-mounted solar assets um, across the world, as well as anaerobic digestion plants, recycling plants. So basically, anything where there is a an infrastructure play or a smart energy play we get involved because the yield profile is quite attractive because it's often over 10 to 20 years and people like the predictability that that income can provide Mm. so we do a lot of that and that represents about 3.5 billion of what we do yeah and then then we do vc and productivity which is the part of the business that i sit in and we manage just shy of 650 million and what we do is we've our sweet spot is is investing between 250,000 pounds and 5 million pounds into uk companies 
um, in any sector. Huh. And so whereas what you what you find in the VC funding landscape is that it's becoming increasingly polarized. So you've got a lot of activity at the, the, the lower end. Yeah. So lots of startups, accelerators, crowdfunding platforms. And you've got huge players at the large end, you know, the KKRs, the Primeras of this one, and the rest yeah. of it. But you've got very, very few VC firms and P firms that are sort of servicing this, what, what's regarded by the government as this equity gap, this idea of, you know, you've got a business that's established, it's been around for a few years. It needs to go to the next level. Exactly, it's raised, it's raised half a million from an angel investor, but it needs two million to really go for it and maybe expand internationally and open up new, um, launch new products or yeah. um, hire new staff. Yeah. It's that, it's that um, gap that we focus in. And we do both minority investments, we do both um, change of control investments, we manage both retail funds, so raising capital from high net worths, um, either and giving them tax relief through a VCT or EIS wrapper, as well as um, managing institutional funds where we're backed by um, local LPs um, that want to see investment going into their local communities. And uh, that's what we do, and I love it. I'm, I'm a director there, you know, we, we manage um, 93 companies, uh, they it's range, yeah. They range in size. There's a team. It's just not. It's not just me. There's a team of. <laughs> there's a team of twenty nine of us. Um, <clears throat> they range in size. So like you know, the smallest business that we're backed is, is pre revenue startup. Largest business is turning over sixty million. Wow. Um, I, but I'd say our sweet spot's probably a business that's turning over between three million and twenty million, and um, yeah, that's 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 what we do, and uh, it's great. It's great. We had a really good year last year. And uh, you know, you just you get just get going again. So January, we're back at it, back out there trying to speak to companies, trying to see what the opportunities are. And how are you? Uh, I guess you know the size of your firm is quite large, obviously. How are you sourcing deals? Uh, and from a diversity perspective, yeah, which makes for a good segue to Cornerstone. How are they doing? Do you find that there's enough diversity coming through the door? Do you find that you're seeing enough like black entrepreneurs who fit that criteria in terms of, you know, they might have done 500K and they need to go to the next level? Where, you know, how, how does that work? Or is that what led you to start Cornerstone because of the lack thereof? Yeah, I mean, look, we, you know, and Philip, you know, you and I were talking about this just, just before we started the podcast that, you know, there's a lot of interest and, and activity in the space now, which is really exciting. Yeah. Largely led by gender which is great because gender is really straightforward and, and easy to understand. The data is actually being captured and it's easy to kind of, um, you know, to try and address the issue. Yeah. Um, capturing race is much more challenging mm. because it's not a piece of data that's being captured actively on any company's house database. Um, it's very difficult to decipher from pictures. Um, it's a much more nuanced problem to solve. Yeah. and. What I think is interesting about the VC funding landscape is that I think everyone understands the issue. Everybody, I think, is committed and wants to try and address it, but it's about how you go about doing it. And, you know, I, you know, I look at people like Atomico that I think are doing a fantastic job in, in that space, yeah. you know, with Included VC and yeah. and all these various initiatives that they're, they're launching. Shout out to Andy Davis. Shout out to Andy Davis, yeah. Harry. Got that, got that money. Oh, yeah. Got that money, exactly. So shout out to those guys. So yeah, so I look at guys like that. I look at Backstage Capital. I look at all these types of guys that are trying to address it. I think for your traditional VC firm, you know, what, what I think the challenge is, you know, th their job is to deploy capital and it's to deploy capital in the best businesses. And, you know, sometimes, you know, a traditional VC firm may say, well, actually, if we look at diversity as an issue 
as a parameter by which we assess opportunities, does that limit the pool? Mm. You know, does that limit the pool of businesses that we should be backing yeah. that have the opportunity to have to deliver exceptional returns? And I guess the argument that the that the industry is now starting to make, and lots of individuals like you know, Diversity VC and all that type of stuff, um, you know, Chuck Corner, shout out to her, Ada Ventures, is that they're trying to say, well, actually, having diversity as a parameter isn't a limiter, it's potentially an enabler because it's allowing you to unlock opportunities that you're otherwise, for whatever reason, either consciously or subconsciously ignoring. Mm. And that's the opportunity. And I think it's just about getting that message out there. And so what are we doing at Foresight? So we, you know, we've got our diversity and inclusion committee. Um, we're really pushing the um, the female um, agenda at the moment. Um, you know, ethnic minority, I'm sure, as, as an agenda will, will, will follow suit. Um, you know, we've got good representation of, of female founders on, on our portfolio companies at the moment, yeah. which is encouraging. Um, but it's, you know, there's still more to do. There's absolutely still more to do. I mean, what, I think any traditional VC, any VC firm worth their soul, you know, you you don't want to pull a barrier to backing a great company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if the if the company's led by a black person, a female, a, a white male. It doesn't matter, as long as it's a good company. at the at the core of it, it's a good company. It's got a great business model. It's got a great product. It's got a great yep. service. Yep. You know, they want to grow. They want to create value, and you can support them to do. It. That's that's ultimately what people care about. Yeah. But I think what the problem is, if you know, if we're speaking candidly, is that. I don't think a lot of these research firms know how to source this deal flow. I don't know yeah. if they, I don't think they know where, they don't even know it exists. You know, I think I think the view is actually we're not backing ethnic minority founders because there aren't that many ethnic minority founders and that's actually not the case. It's just that they, they appear in different forms. They don't describe themselves as entrepreneurs in yeah. most cases. A lot of the activity is quite informal. Yeah. They don't have the right advisors. Yeah. They don't have the right networks. They don't have the right, you know, that kind of... That infrastructure that seems to come so naturally to others. Exactly, which, you know, which individuals like, you know, 10 by 10 and Backstage and Foundify, they're trying to create that ecosystem. That's what's really exciting about yeah. what's happening now. Well, you're going to have to throw Cornerstone into that mix as well because... Cornerstone! You guys are, you guys are doing your thing as well. So... Let's talk about Cornerstone. How did how did this come about? Because I, I assume, you know, okay, for those who don't know what Cornerstone is, what is Cornerstone and what do you guys do? Yeah, so Cornerstone, really simple. It's a group of 20 people, um, one partner, one vote. And we've decided that we want to we pull our, together our capital to invest in what we see as a need, which is backing and supporting um, businesses with black founders. That's what we want to do, and it really, in terms of how it started, it was like it was it was it's so funny how it started because basically it started six of us in Mitcham, six black guys from Mitcham. Actually, we weren't in Mitcham at the time. We well, we're from Mitcham, but we were in Stratford at a Levi Roots restaurant. So oh, nice! Yeah, it good? that haven't been yet. It's closed down now, which is unfortunate. Oh, that's but, a shame. <laughs> but it was good food. Well, I cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, I did not see that coming. I was trying to. I was on my list this year. Oh, was it? Yeah, list, you know, yeah. I'm trying to support black businesses and all. Yeah, so yeah, it was. Okay. It was. So we were there, and we were just kind of reminiscing. We were thinking about, you know, we've 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 done a lot in our lives. We 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 were all getting to the stage where you know we we'd got married. We were thinking about kids. You know, we'd spent a lot of money and we were thinking, well, it's great, you know, we're all doing well, we're all in successful jobs, we're earning six figures, all the rest of it, but is our community benefiting? Mm. You know, what are we doing in a kind of tangible way that's bigger than us, 
that's sustainable to help our community. And the truth was that we weren't doing anything. So it literally started with us saying, okay, you know what? What we're going to do is we're going to put £5,000 um, into a pool of capital, into a bank a bank account. And so we started with 30000 Um and we had no idea what we were going to do with it. And over a period of time, months, which then became a year, we decided that what we were going to do is we were going to use this money to invest in the stock market. And we were going to use it to invest in alternative, what we what we termed alternative assets, which basically was a way in which we were able to invest in cryptocurrencies, basically. Because oh, we couldn't find oh <laughs> we couldn't find a name for it. You did what? <laughs> oh my word. We didn't invest in cryptocurrencies, Thank I'd goodness. like to say. But that was the that was the plan because we were hearing all these stories about oh cryptocurrency millionaires and yeah, all the rest of it. Yeah, like five five million Ex- percent return. Exactly, and, and all yeah. the rest of it. And so that was how it started. And what was really interesting is that we started backing companies like Boohoo and hmm. ASOS and we were making good money. We were making decent returns. We were making, like, you know, compared to a savings account, we were making really, really good returns. But you guys invested in Boohoo. Yeah, interesting. We invested in Boohoo. We invested in a couple of. We invested in this really interesting business called Inspired Energy. We invested in some some other businesses, and we made some good returns. But we were all looking at each other in the room and thinking, "I'm not inspired by this." You know, mm. like I think what was happening is we were investing in Boohoo, and then there was an article that came out on the BBC saying they got sweat shops or something. Exactly, and I think. <laughs> And that really like struck a chord with yeah, us, and we were like looking at each other and thinking, "Is this what this is what is this what we want to do?" It's like working in the bank all over again. <laughs> exactly. And we were just thinking, you know what? If we're gonna, this is our money. Mm. Well, let's do something positive with it. You know, we can like, you know, if you want to invest in Boohoo, go go to you know Hargis Lansdowne or Fidelity or any other type of platform, um, which are all equally good, by the way. I don't want to be sued by anyone, but um, <laughs> you know, but. Um, <laughs> But in terms of like to you investing in something that was meaningful, and that was the key thing because this was our money, yeah. this was our cash, yeah. this was our hard-earned cash after tax yeah. that you know wasn't spent to pay off credit cards or whatever or, or live lavish lifestyles. This was money that we wanted to do something useful with, mm. and then it became very clearly what we wanted to do. We wanted to invest in people that looked like us, but that decided to pursue an entrepreneurship path yeah. rather than a professional path. And um, and that's kind of how it happened, and then and then slowly but surely we then expanded from six to twenty. Um, we increased funds under management from thirty thousand to seven hundred fifty thousand. We're going to be at a million by the end of this year, which would be fantastic. And all we do is we invest between twenty five thousand and a hundred thousand pounds into into black businesses. And what we will say is that what we think makes us unique is one, um, we invest in any sector. So we have no bias to any particular sector because we believe that every entrepreneur has the opportunity to create value. Yeah. You know, the opportunity to create a restaurant chain that competes with a Pret-a-Manger or a Carluccio is yeah. just as attractive to us as building the next software platform to to take over uh, Google or Facebook. Yeah. Um, so that was the first thing. The second thing is that we wanted to be flexible in terms of the way we provided the capital. So not everybody wants to dilute. So you know we'd love we'd love to do more equity deals, but actually a lot of people just want um, flexible debt capital. Debt financing, right? Yeah. So we provide short term, short to medium term loans as well as equity to those that that want it, and we can we can mix and match. It doesn't really matter to us. We just want to support that business. Yeah. And the third thing we want to do is that we wanted to be. What we realised is that capital, um, you know, it's a commodity. Right. Everyone, yeah. I know a lot of people say it's still difficult to find, raise money for your business, but the reality is capital is a commodity. There's so many different grants and government schemes out there, you know, the startup loan scheme, all the rest of it. So 
how do you genuinely differentiate yourself from the competition? You do that by by bringing more than just capital by being smart. Yeah. And so we've got this sort of term of like smart capital, this idea that when you engage with Cornerstone, you don't engage with one individual, you engage with a syndicate of 20. And those 20 individuals provide perspectives, um, insights, strategic support, VC experience to help you scale your business. Yeah, smart money. Smart money, that's yeah. what it is, smart money. And it was like, you know, what we were, you know, our view is like, you know, taking an angel investing approach, but at a syndicate level to businesses. And, you know, at the scale up program that we launched um, last last year, that was kind of, I guess, a culmination of that that thinking, that, that idea that, you know what, there are businesses that not only require our capital and require our support, but they also need to be in, a, in an environment and in a community where they can continue to get that support on a more regular basis. So hence Cornstone 2.0 was born, which was a an accelerator program with a difference. And the, the difference being, one, it's the first of its kind in Europe that focuses on, on entrepreneurs with black, um, businesses with black founders. And two, it was the first that focused on post-revenue businesses. Because again, lots of accelerator, um, accelerators are doing fantastic work, yeah. but they're doing work at the startup level. They're incubating, they're- um, Getting you off the ground. They're getting you off the ground. They're they're pulling ideas together, and we need that. We need that that cultivation of good ideas. But who's going to take the next, you know, one one band Jamaican restaurant and make it the, the next Turtle Bay? Yeah. Who's going to turn Which the is next? Necessary. That's what we need. Like, yeah. and because and you know what? And what really kind of drove this home for me was, I was looking at my son. My, I've got a two-year-old son. His name's Micah. Shout out, Micah. Shout out, Micah. <laughs> <laughs> I love when people shout at their kids. <laughs> he's like, like he's probably thinking like, what, what, what is that? Um, Daddy's speaking. Anyway, um, shout out Micah. And um, I was thinking to myself like, when Micah's 18, when he's 19, when he's 20, what brand is he gonna look at and say, that was set up by a black guy, or that was set up by a black woman? And I'm, I'm not talking the local Jamaican restaurant or the local hairdressing shop where you've got, you know, your aunties and, and, and you know your girlfriends who are doing fantastic work, but I'm talking a brand. Yeah, take it to the next level. A brand, like yeah. give me give me a Carluchos or or Presa Manje. I mean, there's no reason why that salon can't salon salon. Yeah, why can't, can't it become be, a Tony and Guy? Why can't it be the next Tony and Guy? Yeah, of course, it can. Why not? There's absolutely no reason for that. And you know, and and for us, you know, come back to the point you're making earlier, which is, you know, everyone's got a part to play in this in this ecosystem. Our view at Cornstone is our part to play is. Where we want to play at the scale-up stage, we want to focus on businesses that are post-revenue. Yeah. They've got a product that works. They're generating revenue. Yeah. They're getting traction, but they just need a bit of help and support to get to their institutional round. And so we want to provide that that gap of providing up to a hundred thousand pounds. But I think over time it's going to increase to two hundred fifty thousand and maybe to half a million. Mm. But we can help you get to that institutional round, and that's that's the kind of our proposition to the market. And so far, so good. It's been we've been really really impressed with the. With the feedback that we've been getting, like the support from yeah. from the community, it's been great. I mean, you guys have deployed over what uh, is it five hundred thousand? Yeah, exactly. Over so over half a million already. It's crazy. Um, we did ten from thirty k to five hundred thousand. Yeah, and we did we did ten deals last year. Wow. Um, the pipeline this year is looking already amazing. You it's know, gonna go up after this. That's the. <laughs> 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 yeah. So like exactly. So um. So I should I give a shout out in terms of where they can apply? But um, yeah, we're, we're gonna get. Don't worry, I'm gonna give you that. <laughs> I'm gonna give you that opportunity at the end. Don't worry, it's coming. It's coming. Okay, great. Yeah. So like, it's um, yeah. No, it's been it's been really awesome. Like, we've got three pitches, um, this this month wow. for our January meeting. 
all fantastic businesses. You know, yeah. one's in consumer retail, one's in um, software, and one's in um, sort of like hard tech, hardware tech. Yeah. Um, and it's just exciting. Like you come, you know, you they they come into basically a Dragon Den style of setup. Yeah. So the twenty partners meet once a month, and they come in. They get greeted by one of the partners. Um, they've got their deck. They come in. They walk in. They walk into a room of black faces. Amazing, incredible from all over from Africa and the West Indies. It's not just from from Mitchum, from the Ghanaian, <laughs> the Ghanaian Mitchum Massa. No, and it's <laughs> and it's twenty. You know, it's twenty partners, um, four women, soon to be five women. Right, and you know it's it's awesome, right? And you know you look at these people, and they're all you know they're all young, but they're all brilliant. They're all doing amazing things in their own their mm. own right. Some of them are entrepreneurs, some of them are in consulting, some of them are investment banking, some of them are in wealth management, some of them are VC guys, some of them are in IT. You've got that rich breadth of experience, and they come in, they come into this safe environment, and they they just pitch. And they pitch for thirty minutes, and then when they stop, we ask them some questions, and that's it. And then they go away, and then we deliberate and then we we go back to a week later and it's as simple as that and it's it's just really it's really slick and um the partners love it because you know they love the idea that you know their money's going into something that's tangible and they can mm. touch and feel and they feel like they're, they're giving back to community and in that add, way add value yeah and make money on the back end exactly and that's you know what we, we were very very keen about that which is that you know we love the feel-good factor of what we're doing, but first and foremost, we're a commercially run yeah. entity. As you should be. Yeah, we're here to make money. Yeah. And actually, we we don't, and I think this is something about our community, just more generally, which is that, you know, I'm bringing my A game to you, and I'm expecting you to do the same. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna, yes, it's fantastic that we're both black and we're both on the opposite sides of the table, and you're doing well and I'm doing well. But if I really respect what you're doing, and I really appreciate what you're doing, I wanna treat you in exactly the same way as I would if I was in my day job. Yeah. Um, and as a consequence, you're gonna get the best of me, you're gonna get my professionalism, you're gonna get my excellence, you're gonna get my um, desire to make you better, yeah. to make you ready. Um, you're, gonna, you're gonna get everything yeah. from me and that's the game that I'm gonna bring. I'm not gonna, this is not like a hobby, no. part-time yeah, thing. Yeah, time's expensive. Tell, yeah. them, tell them your resume, but- man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after they hear this, it's gonna be like, oh, I should have spoken to. Her. I should have worn the good shoes when I saw Rodney that time. <laughs> so yeah, so that's kind of that was kind of the thing. Yeah. So um, and we love it. Like we the feedback we've been getting is amazing. And what what's been amazing to me is like a lot of people say that you know what, Rodney, the reason why we're not backing black businesses is because there aren't there aren't they're not there. They're not making any revenue. Show them your inbox. And like we're seeing like some amazing businesses. Let yeah. me. I want to give a shout out to um, the winner of our skill up program last year Jess and the Beanstalk um, a girl called Je- Jess obviously from Jess and the Beanstalk she, she <laughs> yeah. set up she, That's, it's not obvious it's not obvious <laughs> she set up a coffee shop and um, in Epsom in Surrey and what she did was a really simple concept which is that she wanted to create a coffee shop that would be a safe place for mums and their young kids. That's good. Where she could, where they can come have a nice relaxing cup of coffee but also could watch on a monitor their kids playing in a designated playground area within the shop. Mm. Fantastic idea, brilliant idea. Great, she spoke with passion, you know, she knew her numbers, she knew where she wanted to take the business and you know, she right, you know, she won the she won the prize and you know, you know, we're hoping to to back her and and take her take that concept forward and hopefully open up new sites and nice. that's that's what it's about. Yeah. You know, that's what we're passionate about. What's her first site? So her first site's in Epsom, sorry. Epsom. Um so um yeah, just she's on Instagram, just in the beanstalk. And uh she's great. She's she's fantastic. And like she 
how has she how was she planning on funding this before she met you guys? Did she have any idea? Did she have a network? Uh, you know what? You you should speak to her. You should have a chat with her because she she didn't even want to join the program. Oh, wow. So um, she had she was thinking like I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if this is really right for me. I'm quite happy with what I'm doing at the moment. And she joined our skill up program. Um, and it was a nine week program that culminated the demo day. And, and is that what you do with Founders Vine as well? Yeah, so that was so yeah, so so, so shout out to Founder Vine. So shout um, out Izzy. Shout out Izzy, shout out Cecil, shout out Caroline, the whole team, David, all those guys. Um so in collaboration with Founder Vine we we created a um a tailored scale up program for post revenue businesses, um, sort of led by black founders. And uh, it was a nine week program held at level thirty nine. Um, you had to pay to get onto the program, but I, I think you know if you speak to individuals, that all of them would say that the return on investment was at least tenfold, if not more. Mm. Um, they got to see a range of different speakers, um, hear from a range of different speakers. They got mentorship throughout the program. Yeah, you guys, I saw one of them. You had like Coco the Mama. <laughs> yeah, so Danny Land's a friend of mine. Yeah, so um, That's good a mate cool, of mine. Cool business. Yeah, really. I'm not good. a huge fan of the pasta. <laughs> You're I'm not gonna lie. Eight, he's eight, not eight pound for spaghetti bolognese. So Daniel would say he's not part of it because he's <laughs> he's sold. He's sold out, man. Yeah, he's yeah, living. Good. Yeah, there we go. He's living. So maybe the pasta quality's gone down. But <laughs> he um he's a great. He's a really good guy. And actually, me and him we met at Merrill Lynch. We were both working together. Oh, wow, there you go. And he had that kind of entrepreneurial bug much much earlier than I did. And um, obviously, he's doing really well now. So so he came down. And what we did is we we covered all the key functions, but we covered it from a from the perspective of you know where your business stands today. How can you get to a point where you can you can stand in front of an institutional VC and raise a million quid? Mm. And so that was the approach throughout. So sales was approached in that way. Marketing was approached in that way. You know, looking at your your metrics, um, how to put, produce a cash flow statement. I know people don't like talking about um, you know creating models and cash flow statements, but unfortunately, if you're going if you want to raise a million, you need to have that in your toolkit. You, know, you just need to have it and if you can't do it that's fine but find someone that can do it for you yeah. so that you, when you go in front of a VC and the VC says have you got a model you can say yeah 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 it's in my date room or I could, I'll send it across to you following this meeting the numbers don't matter but it just shows that you thought about it it's about, it's about the fact that you thought about it and you've gone through that process because you know you and I both know that you know and I can, I can testify to this you know 99% of the business plans that I see the businesses do not hit those numbers they never do they never do, <laughs> but it's the process. Yeah, it's the process. Yeah. It's the discipline of it's going like, through yeah, it. Getting that granular, correct. In your business and thinking about it, really thinking about it. Actually, you know what? I'm I'm turning over one point two million now. How do I credibly get to ten? How much money do I need to get there? Mm. Um, so that's 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 really important as well. We we talked them through. We even had Impact Text come. Shout out to Impact Text and to Ezzy and to um, Yvonne and to um, to Rick and and to Eric, Eric and yeah. all those guys. Awesome guys love those guys they've been hugely supportive of us and we love what they're doing um they came and they they, they attended one of our events and nice. they did they did a pitching session yeah um and it was awesome like they gave candid direct brutal feedback which mm. is what that's what they needed to hear that's what people knew yeah 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 like it's not about molly calling our industry and our community it's about you know you want to play this game play it properly play it properly and understand and i think you know what often when i spoke to entrepreneurs what they said to me was you know what rodney all we want to know is where we're going wrong. Like, what what are the weaknesses? Mm. Tell us what the weaknesses are and tell us how we can fix them. We yeah. don't want to be lied to. We don't want to tell us that we, we don't want someone to tell us that we did a fantastic pitch if you th thought it was garbage. Tell us it was garbage. Yeah. And why it was garbage. And why it was garbage and how we can fix it. And that's yeah. that's what we want to do. And so with the platform now, you guys are investing 
obviously you released the article before the end of the year you're trying to raise 40 million which is huge so how is it going to work is it still going to be like an angel do you want more angels investing or is this now going to be like a fund and you want lps like you were taking it up a notch like what's the, what's the what's the goal here yeah it's a good questions and i i think you know there's the I, th- I think the short answer is that we're still figuring out i think we we love the syndicate we love what it's doing we yeah. love the impact it's making in the community and i'd love i'd like to think that in some shape or form it will always continue yeah but ultimately you know the article around the 40 million and raising more capital it's it's about the fact that we recognize the need is there yeah and you know for all the best one in the world a million quid is nice but it's a drop in the ocean yeah compared to what the demand is and what the need is and so you know that's why we're, we're starting to have those conversations and you know to the extent that we can help more businesses then we will and if we can't we'll continue to raise our own capital yeah. and support businesses and put our money where our mouth is and that's that's kind of where we are in terms of whether we're looking for new angels we always um you know we're always looking for people that that, that love and support what we're doing we're looking for supporters we're looking for people to, to spread the word you know shout out cornerstone partners shout out the founders shout out the partners shout out our businesses um, we're always looking for investors, yeah. not into Cornerstone, but investors into the businesses that we're backing, yeah. and for that next round, because obviously mm. that's that's what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's where we are. I mean, we, we you know we're continuing to do the work in the background, and hopefully, fingers crossed, I, I'll have some good news for you hey. in, the, <laughs> in the next. There it is. There we in go. In the next. In the next. You know, I you know I don't I wouldn't say it's imminent, but we're working on it. We're working on it. You know, we've yeah. got we've got a few things. We've got a few th- few things it's, planned. It's, it's going. So, do you think <laughs> once you once you raise a fund, yeah, will you get rid of the angel syndicate side? Because I I do feel as though, not to like keep you guys there, but I feel as though the angel fund is still effective in terms of how do you get other individuals? Because when I speak to other kind of like black people who might have achieved some level of success in their careers, not maybe as entrepreneurs. Yeah. They don't see themselves as investors because like, oh, I'm not an investor. I'm like, you think I'm Warren Buffett? I haven't got millions to invest. <laughs> but most people don't know. And that's another thing with like the community and the industry is that most people don't know that you can write a 5K check and yeah. that could go a, a long, long way. way for a startup. So how do you still include those guys? Because, you know, I, obviously, you know, I spent some time in New York and in New York, they have like the New York Angel Syndicate and they're like the mafia. Really? <laughs> they have... <laughs> Serious, serious cash, cash. <laughs> like when I, I I pitched them I went to pitch them and they they have a floor at New York Times wow. building wow. top floor <laughs> serious yo those we're, coming, serious. we're coming we're coming they're Thank serious so I'm like but that's like an angel group yeah yeah you know no faces but like the capital's there and they're like they're notorious yeah you know it's like are you gonna pitch it VCs or are you gonna go to New York Angels it's like literally you just you have to decide really uh, especially in the early days anyway so i'm just thinking like there could be an opportunity to have that because those angels they may not necessarily be like serial entrepreneurs or millionaires they could just be like bankers yeah. who have made a bit of money or like lawyers who have made some money and they want to like deploy 5 10 20k a year because they can afford that into like three four companies and like you know that's how they get involved so do you still i still think there's like an area and an opportunity to have that as well as a fund or do like you, what do you like how do you know you what do you know what's really interesting what what's been really interesting is that when you know people reach out to us and speak to us you know one of the common comments that we get is you know what guys we tried to do this and it flopped mm. you know we tried to pull you know some friends that we had together 
and we tried to create this pool of capital mm. and it just it just lost momentum over a period yeah, of time yeah. and so we recognize that we've created something quite special because the momentum's still there yeah. the desire to continue to grow it is still there and you know to answer your question do we want to grow it do we want to expand it absolutely and i agree with you i think that the idea you know i mentioned at the scale up program this idea that you know we're the rich uncle of the community mm. you know which is effectively re- reflected in an, in an angel group you know why would you want to lose that like there are always going to be businesses that are going to require just just you know 100k 250k half a million it's great that there are other vehicles that need that want to raise more money to provide you with a million two million three million pound plus but mm. that gap needs to be served in some shape or form um, but I think we're still working through how how that looks. Does that course, mean yeah. does that mean expanding the partnership? Does that mean collaborating with other angel syndicates um, and kind of sharing deal flow? Does that mean um, you know encouraging um, others to co-match what we're doing? Yeah. You know there are different schemes out there that that do stuff like that to kind of support the work of regional angels. I look at. Um, the work that Archangels do do in Scotland. I don't know if you come across those guys. No, I haven't heard of Archangels. Yeah, so they're they're an angel syndicate in Scotland, set up by two guys. They now they now manage just shy of I think a hundred million, and it's all angel money. Wow, that's a lot. It's like really impressive. <laughs> so like it's really really impressive. And Archangels A R C H A N G O S, and just just focus on Scotland. And actually, what one of the things that I did was that um. When we started Cornerstone, when we got, when we expanded from six to to twenty partners, I um the founders bought each of the partners, Archangel's um, biography, mm. Arch- the Archangel's story. Okay. okay, I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, yeah, check it out. And and, and basically, because what it did is it just talked about how they took a concept and idea and two people to this big beast that serves most of the Scottish opportunities today. Wow. Did they back Fandil? Uh, I'm not sure actually. Like, probably check check them out. Probably did. They probably did. Yeah, they they they, they see a lot. They they're very very hot on um, um biosciences, um tech, but like proper tech, you know, proper hardware tech. Uh, what else is in Scotland? Kayak, I think. Uh, I'm not sure, but they've know. got all the details on the portfolio. Yeah, but they they've got need. they've got their hands on a lot of pies up there. Yeah, I can imagine. And and I was really inspired by that story, and I thought, why is why do we not have an equivalent for our community? Mm. You know, and like you said, I think what's really interesting now is you've got an emerging middle class, you've got an emerging upper class yeah. of you know wealthy, you know comparatively wealthy um, black male and female um, individuals yeah. in the UK, and they've got disposable cash and they want to do something positive, but they just don't know what to do they with just it. Don't want to do it. So they don't know where to do it. They don't know yeah. how to do it. They don't have the time. Or they just go to, straight into property. Correct. Or they don't have the time to create the infrastructure to mm. do it properly. And you know, could Cornerstone be that vehicle? Now, I think today we've decided not. For not to be that vehicle because you know once you start to open up the floodgates and you know and allow the public in then you've got to be regulated and you've got to right. have certain checks and balances and right. you've got to be absolutely bang on um, and I think today we, we really enjoy the kind of the intimacy of just the 20 partners um, but it could change in the future yeah I, th- I, I guess with the syndicate I guess it's a case of you know maybe it's not necessarily a case of you managing money it's more of a case of, okay, you guys see the deals, you have your 20 partner, like, uh, allocation, uh, allocation, and you have like the pitches, and then it's like, you share it with the community. Yeah. And it's like, hey guys, the Cornerstone team are about to make this investment. You know, you guys have a week to decide individually if you want to be involved. And yeah. then, you know, 
for example, you just share the opportunity with like a hundred different angels in London and see what they want to do and or see not. if wants to get involved. Yeah. So and then it's like maybe in that way, it's not necessarily like you regulating. I mean, like managing their money, but it's like you're like advocating and you've created like not a yeah. Slack group or a WhatsApp group because <laughs> you <laughs> know what I mean. Like get I, done with WhatsApp. Yeah, I'm group. done with all of that. <laughs> but like something along those lines where it's like, okay, cool. Here, guys, 10k minimum ticket size you've got a week to decide yeah. we've met them here's the pitch we recorded it here's their deck here's all the information do you want to be involved yes or no like don't waste my time kind of thing so yeah. that's another way of doing it no no I like I like it I like it I like it the thing is you know it's already happening kind of informally already yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I can imagine you know, we're, you know we're, we're being introduced um, to various deals from other either syndicates or forums or whatsapp groups mm. and uh but you're right could we formalize it and try and try and be a sort of uh, a positive force for good in that space definitely i think there's no reason um you know and i i i think there's a huge opportunity there's a real opportunity and you know the more we do this the bigger it, it becomes the quality of the deal flow is improving the way that people are engaging is getting better you know that really excites me yeah um, so yeah and so how do people get involved in Cornerstone? Like if they want to, you know, Rodney, I've got this idea or like I've already got this thing going. I need some Cornerstone money. What's up? Yeah. Okay. So if you're a business um, and, you know, you're a business and you've got at least, you know, one of the key members of the management team um, is of black descent um, and you're looking for funding of between 25000 and 100000 pounds, the first port of call is to go to our website. So www.cornerstonepartners with an s.co.uk. So it's www.cornerstonepartners.co.uk. And you go onto our website, you'll see a lot of information. Basically, there's a form, really, really short form. We've, we've worked really hard to make it as concise as possible. Yeah, I had a look. <laughs> yeah, so it's li literally, it takes you two minutes to fill out, right? And once you fill out that form, we endeavor to come back to you within 72 hours. And you've got, you got to upload a deck only because we just thought that was much better than, than you filling out reams and reams of questions mm. about your business. Just just upload a really simple deck. It doesn't need to be flashy, doesn't need to be glossy. It could be just a really simple PDF deck of you know five, six pages about what your business does and why you need the money. And then someone will come back to you. And it's as simple as that if you're a business. And basically what happens is that we, if, if you, know, you pass that kind of first hurdle where we think you know, we can help you, you fit our criteria, then we would invite you to one of our meetings and we hold a meeting once a month. We may, given the quality of the deal flow that we're getting and, and the volume, we may increase that over mm -hmm. time, but currently we, we meet um, every second Sunday of the, of the, of the month. And uh, we, you know, we meet and we, we hear the pictures and then, and then it, we kind of take it from there. Right. And then we've got a pretty slick sort of due diligence process and legals process that kind of sits behind that where we've got template documents um, we will we will ask certain key questions to cover off some key DD items, usually around cash and um, you know, are, are you confident you can pay this money back? Or if you're not, if you're not looking for debt, you're looking for equity. How you intend to use it? You know, what does your board look like? You know, do you need some help with your plan? Stuff like that. We can introduce you to some some really important um, individuals that can provide specific expertise in areas such as B two B sales or um, marketing or um, uh, operations or recruitment if you want to hire some key key people yeah we'll add that all of that comes as well with the with the service and the, and the offering and then we look to complete the deal within you know within i guess four weeks four to five weeks do you guys look at 
predominantly like SEIS, EIS? Does that make a difference? Yeah, good question. So um, we don't care, but our preference is that it, it that the business has EIS or SEIS, but we don't care. Right. So we we won't turn you down because you haven't gone off and and spoken to HMRC and got a got a um, EIS advance assurance or SEIS advance assurance. But you know the first investment that we did, we backed a business called Tectonic. I don't know if you saw that. Mm. Uh, we backed a um, it's basically a a validation company so they build tech but they also help businesses to validate it hmm. with with respect to a commercial lens right. and uh, really really great business um ceo's nana parry really like him really rate the guy um and we invested um, some capital into that business to help him grow mainly focusing around sales and um yeah, so so that that's the type of stuff that we would do. That's the type of work that we do. That was a that was an EIS investment, um, but it doesn't have to be. Right. And what at what stage? I know you said you're quite agnostic as well in terms of like industry, but like ideally, what stage do you want to see some of these companies at before they come and send you their deck? Yeah. So we say like we give a kind of like a soft, um, you know, revenues of around fifty k. But to be honest, we've looked at businesses smaller than that, and we've looked at businesses much much larger than that. So to give you a flavour, um, the largest business that we've backed is turning over on a in a good month, turning over just shy of a million nice. in a month. Wow. So that's a pretty big business. Um, smallest business that we've backed is turning over ten grand. Right. So, but so you're I, not looking at like pre-seed. You're not looking. I mean, not like pre-revenue. You don't want just idea stage. No, it's really important for us that it's post-revenue. And the reason why is that, and actually if we do see a, a pre-seed business, then great, we'll just refer you to someone that we think is a better place to help you. We we find that our skill set and our approach is much better for a business that is already generating revenue. Mm. Um, but I'd say our sweet spot, well, in terms of what, what we're looking at and where we really start to engage, is probably a business that's doing between 200,000 and a million. Because usually at a million pounds of revenue, you've reached that inflection point where you can start to engage with an institutional investor to maybe do a pre-Series A round. Mm. And we, we want to position ourselves so that we invest in the business just before that happens. Right. So kind of that that gap is kind of what we're looking for. Nice. That's a, that's a lot. Yeah, is that yeah. a lot of information? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you that's think? Good. Does that sound as... A no, it's, it's, it's realistic. I, uh, I think... You know, do you think when it comes to like angel investment, historically, I guess black founders have struggled to make that initial, you know, 10 to 20K to get the ball rolling. Um, obviously, you know, you can't be for everyone. If you're for everyone, you're not for anyone. But uh, do you, have you found that that alienates some people? We have, we have. And we've had, we've had people that, you know, just point blank on our Instagram page saying, you guys should help startups. <laughs> you should. <laughs> Get off the ground. <laughs> yeah, get up. Well, like I mean, you, that's where the, the that's the highest risk. You know, that's where the most risk risk is incurred when it's like pre seed, pre revenue it idea. Yeah. It's like uh, I don't know. Yeah, and I think look, and uh, you know, to your point, I don't think we can't be, we can't help everyone because I think if we help everyone, we'll help no one. Right. Mm. What we can do is focus on what value do we bring based on our backgrounds, um, where we can make a material difference to a business. Yeah, and we find that where we can make a material difference to a business is when a business is generating revenue. Because actually what, what we find is, like Jess and the Beanstalk's classic example is, the business is turning over cap, turning over revenue. But what Jess needed through the Cornerstone Scale-Up program and through engaging with Cornerstone Partners is the ability to, for someone to tell her to step, take a step back and say, look, this is a brand, not a shop, mm. right? She thought it was a shop. Yeah. But it's a brand. 
And so because it's a brand, what do you do with a brand? You scale it. You scale it. Take everywhere. And that's 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 where we add value. That's yeah. what we do. Um, and we recognise not everyone does that, and, and we recognise we're going to get some criticism for people that say, well, actually, but what do you, the real need is in startups. But actually, I don't think the real need is in startups. I think there are so many different startup accelerators. There's so many different startup communities. You know, Foundervine and all these guys, they're doing such great work. You know, why why do we want to replicate that? We don't mm. need to. Like, I'm just going to say to you, go speak to Foundervine. Yeah. They're doing great work. Speak to them. Yeah. They're running great programs. Go speak to them. Yeah. And then when you get to yeah, and then when you get to this stage, then come speak to us. Yeah, I mean, like we said, it's the ecosystem, different stages. Absolutely. Another stage. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, Ronnie, I want to work towards wrapping up now. Yeah. I ask all our guests these rapid fire questions. Go on, hit me. But what seems to happen? I don't know why they don't answer them rapid fire. (laughs) You know, I get some elaborate answers, and they're good. (laughs) They're good. So, but sometimes they just add another 30 minutes on. But when you say rapid, you mean like one word answer? I mean like or one word, mean... like a sentence. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Ideally one word, okay, but okay. let's see. I mean, maybe it's I'll not try, one word. I'll try, I'll try, I'll try. Uh, okay, what has or who has been your biggest inspiration? <sighs> yeah, see? <laughs> oh, mate, you, you, don't, you don't pull any punches. Um, <sighs> that is a hard one. I'd say my biggest inspiration has been <laughs> my mother. My mm. mother has been my biggest inspiration. Okay. For the, my, my entire life, it's my mother. Why? Because, you know, I, there are so many people that are important in my life, but my mother is, is, is key because she gave me, the, the one thing that she gave me, which I've had in every single iteration of my life, is this idea that, if you work hard, your chances of success are greatly improved. Mm. You know, th- that was it. Like, it's that concept of, you know, she, you know, she grew, I grew in the kind of era of Tony Blair and education, 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 yeah, that type yeah, of, yeah, yeah. that whole mantra, which I'm sure that, you know, she claims that that was, that she said it before Tony Blair did. But um, that whole concept of just work hard, like you may not be brilliant, but work hard, try, mm. you know, commit. Yeah. You know, don't do like don't think do things half baked. Do things properly. If you're gonna mm. do something and you put your name to it, yeah. Do it properly. I agree. That's good. Favorite podcast or favorite Yeah, favorite podcast for now. Ah <laughs> uh, um that's hard because I listen to a lot of them. Um I listen to a lot of spiritual podcasts. So the one that I really rate, so this is a bit of a curveball, is um Charles Stanley, In Touch Ministries. Mm. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, check it out. I will. Uh, favorite blog? Um, I again, I look, I read a lot of different blogs. Um, Medium's my favorite, platform, me- yeah. favorite platform to kind of read um, lots of different blogs. I really enjoy um, um, blogs from uh, the guys at Atomico. I really enjoy the blogs from the guys at um, Omos Ventures. Harry Briggs, Ray, that guy. I think he writes some good stuff. Um, in terms of the finance world. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not a massive blog person actually. Okay. Well, you just named three. Yeah, but like, <laughs> I don't know. You know, like I, I glance upon them, but I'm not like I don't. I don't subscribe. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel you. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Favorite book. Yeah. That's that's quite easy. So, my favorite. So nonfiction or fiction. Favorite book. Just <laughs> <laughs> one. Um. I feel like you're distilling my entire life into these 
these four or five things. I'd say my favourite book in terms of enjoyment was Barbarians at the Gate. Oh, I've heard a lot about this book. You've got to read that book. I, I think I have to. I think I have to now. You've got to read that like book. like the fifth person that said that. Or yeah. I heard it on another show. Yeah, I'm going to read it now. It's The, th- the thing about the book is that it's incredibly well written. Mm. Because it takes a subject that's very, very dry and makes it very interesting. Barbarians at the Gate. Barbarians at the that. Gate. I have to check that out. Yeah. Uh, Favourite Instagram account? Cornerstone Partners. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what do you wish you could do that you currently can't do? <laughs> um, I wish I could spend um, more time with my family. Oh, that's a nice one. Yeah. So shout out Raquel, my beautiful wife. Um, and Micah. And Micah, my beautiful son. So yeah, they, they take a lot of the brunt of the fact that I'm doing lots of different things. And I wish I could spend more time with them. But it's, you tell them it's for them, right? I do, but that doesn't seem to wash. That's my remedy, no. <laughs> <laughs> Did I like that answer? No, it doesn't. Uh, the best answer I had of that one, though, yeah. was fly. Fly? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, wow. I never thought about that. <laughs> um, okay, what advice would you give to your 21-year-old self? Although it seems like you had a pretty yeah. sturdy head on your shoulders. So Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a good question. So um, if I had my time again, um, the advice that I give to my 21-year-old self would be don't be fearful. So, and the reason I say that is because I was very fearful as a 21 year old. Mm. I played it, arguably played it too safe. Mm. A classic example of that is um, um, uh, I had an opportunity and I, I, always, I always tell the story and my wife hates it, but I had, an op- <laughs> I had an opportunity to buy a two bed flat in Wimbledon. Right. Um, and this was like using my first bonus at my lunch. And I was gonna buy it for what was at the time an app absolute steel right and I can and I consulted with my parents about it you know two African parents by oh, way, yeah, right? yeah, 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 that yeah. was that was that was the minute when I, I went right? <laughs> as soon as I did ah. that it was like game over and Fun. I said to, and they said to me okay so so is this a house I'm like no no mum it's a it's a flat she's like a flat what's a flat it's like you know it's like it's one floor and she's like okay so what but you own the freehold I'm like no it's, I don't own the freehold <laughs> it's these are good questions, though. Exactly. These are, these are good questions. So wait, so you're buy, you're spending hundreds of thousand pounds to buy a flat that you don't own, that sits on top of another flat. And I said to my mum, "Yes, but it's a good investment." And she's like, "Don't buy it." Um, and what was the what was the killer? Is that I had the offer agreed. I was actually through the process, so what you are, but. I was fearful because uh, I was thinking, you know, maybe I'm never going to earn this type of money again. And I thought, you know what, I'll pull out and I'll save two grand on, on lost conveyancing fees. And I pulled out. And every time I go back to Warden, I see that flat and I'm just like... How much is it worth now? You know you want to know. Oh, uh, no, I don't. I really don't want to disclose that You don't want to know. Right yeah. That was... Uh, whatever. Okay, so your advice to your 21-year-old self is don't take advice from people don't be fearful don't be fearful because if I wasn't if I could have taken advice from my mum but if I wasn't fearful I would have gone ahead with it anyway and just, I just would have said to my mum it's fine it's okay and actually now I'm less I'm much much less fearful yeah that's good um, if you had a hundred quid in your favourite city what would you spend it on oh that is a good question so my favourite city at the moment is Rome mm, nice love it love it I went there with my wife and uh, loved that place and I would spend it on pasta Good pasta. Mm. Um, what's the one thing that startups should ignore in the early days? 
I think a lot of startups get caught up in the hype. Yeah. I think they should ignore the hype. Mm. So what I mean is that a lot of startups think, I've done, I've worked hard for 12 months, I now deserve to raise 10 million pounds. Mm. And I think a lot of them need to just learn to execute and just keep their head down and just focus on keep going and doing stuff. So I think ignore the hype. Okay, that's good. And what's your vision for Cornerstone? <laughs> the vision for Cornerstone is really simple. Um, Philip, it's just to continue, just keep going. Like, as I said, like, just, just like a startup, you know, the, 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 the first aim is to stay in the game. Yeah. And that's what we need to do. We need to stay in the game for as long as possible. And if we stay in the game as long as possible and we keep doing the right things, we work hard and we, you know, we follow the, the mission and the values, who knows what we're, what we're going to become. That's good. Ronnie, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Philip, man. It's a pleasure. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you, where, they, where can they find you? So my email address is rodney at cornerstonepartners.co.uk. Um, I'm obviously, um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Just type in Rodney Appiah, A-P-P-I-A-H. You'll find me there. Or just go to our Instagram page. Um, my Instagram page, Mr. Apps. But you'll notice that I'm incredibly rubbish <laughs> at social media. I don't really do social media. Um, thankfully, Cornerstone Partners does. So check out our Instagram page, Cornerstone Partners. Great. Thanks, Philip. I just want to say another huge thank you to Rodney for coming on the show and Founders Factory for hosting us. And you heard it yourself, guys. If you have a business and your business meets the criteria of Cornerstone Partners, then hit them up, get your pitch deck ready and apply. It literally only takes two minutes, as Rodney said. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave us a review on the Apple Podcasting app or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. They honestly do go a long way. Until next time, guys, keep grinding.